0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Myers. Here, Andrew is not in camp with us this week. Uh, we're currently up in West Virginia in Turkey Camp uh, with uh, Josh Iron from the Untamed, and also two old boys I just got recently meet, uh, met, and uh, which is we got uh, John Lewis. I don't know why my mind's, my mind's blanking <laughs> right now. Little, it's been a long day. John Lewis and also Cody McIntyre. Yep. Yeah again, McIntyre from Just Hunt Club, and uh, we're going to talk all things uh, turkey hunting, specifically talking kind of north to south turkey hunting and kind of a bunch of different states because you boys are from, I guess, live and base out of New York, correct? Yep, upstate New York. Awesome, sweet. So we're going to talk a a lot about turkey hunting. It's been a very interesting few days in camps. We've had some close calls, you know, all different kind of things that's happened. But to kick us off real quick, John, I want to get over to you. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about, first off, before we kind of get into y'all's background, I do want to ask, can you talk to me about what is Just Hunt Club with y'all's YouTube channel and kind of what are y'all doing? Because, again, y'all have had tremendous success the last couple of years since the launching and, uh, again, putting out some really cool content. So, like, what got y'all started, again, on the actual YouTube channel and getting, you know, jumped full-fledged into it?
2: Yeah, I'll keep it pretty short. So um, I did an internship out in Iowa with Midwest Whitetail, and that kind of sparked my videography uh, production career. Before that, I was just like a redneck with a flip phone, but I went out there to, to help uh, help the guys plant. I was in school for crop science and I went out there to do habitat management and like do food plot stuff and I ended up with a video camera in my hand. So fast forward like 11 years later, um, this is what we do full time. Um, but yeah, Just Hunt Club kind of came, it kind of formulated off of that as we started to do some projects for some other companies and through that. And really friendships and relationships I made um, and we made together we realized that we could do a lot of this stuff uh, just on our own Um, mix that with some timing stuff Um, it just worked out that that's what we decided to do Uh, and we realized that there was in the hunting industry in general there was a big gap from Western Midwest and the Northeast and being based in Northeast Um, there's so many opportunities that people just didn't, it was never showcased Mm. in, in the way that we did stuff. Um, and it all started with turkeys really. Um, and once we realized that we just wanted to showcase that, Hey, we're up here in in the most populated part of the country, but we can still have, you know, um, experiences and different types of, Experiences, You know, you can get Western-type experiences in the Northeast, and um, I think a lot of people don't realize that. Oh, yeah. So we wanted to showcase that and showcase we do have the quality of deer. We do have, you know, it's not just cities and people and bustling. Um, so that was kind of our, our uh, motive behind it, was just to share the Northeast hunting culture um, through anything. But also – mix that in with traveling, mm-hmm. you know, sportsmen. So
0: so I'll say this. One interesting thing about y'all's uh, background, and I'm going to call it y'all's market share in the Northeast is very similar to the, what we deal with in the Southeast, which is so much outdoor media content has been so specifically based around the Midwest. Right. Okay. For whitetails, even, I mean, not really turkeys necessarily, mm-hmm. but specifically whitetails is so Midwest focused. And it was like, again, five years ago when we started the podcast, it was like, hey, w- you know, we're born and raised in the Southeast there's nobody really doing anything for the southeast specifically and it's amazing when you kind of tap into that how many people are excited to go along with the ride because they're now seeing and hearing about people in their own areas their own region of the country having success doing different things like y'all are doing, like what we're doing, which is super fascinating because again, you're giving those people in that area um, a, a piece of uh, information that can be readily used versus maybe seeing somebody, nothing gets hunting in the Midwest. I love hunting in the Midwest for whitetails. Right. It's, it's a great time. You uh, know, this is a Turkey episode. So much is focused out in the Midwest. It's it's like it's it's a big disconnect. You know, people try to apply it into other parts of the country, and some of it may apply. Some of it doesn't apply. And that's really kind of interesting, especially when uh, Josh was telling me about some of y'all's tracking videos and Brett and everybody kind of doing the whole uh, snow tracking for white toes, which we may have to leave that for another episode. But it's super fascinating, like the culture and the lifestyle from like hunting in like the Northeast, especially like the upper Northeast and how different it is from everywhere else in the country.
2: Right. Yeah, and it's similar, I guess, when you look at it to the southeast. You know, like when we go down to the southeast, a big um, culture thing you guys have is like hunting clubs. Like a lot of people's uh, parents or dad or mom or whoever, they grew up hunting on their club ground. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where up in the northeast, it's deer camp, you know, big chunks of public ground, and you got a cabin on an acre and you just go run crazy through the mountains of the northeast um but it's just it's interesting because there's so many similarities but it's uh it's different but it's just you know the similarities are pretty pretty close
0: well before we dive into turkey hunting i do want to ask because when when you know saw y'all's name just hunt club Mm -hmm. i thought like that feels like something that you would hear just like the hunt club is to me very much uh, part of like the Southern culture, like hunting right. clubs, okay? Yep. You know, big lease property, you know, they'll be 15 to 500, you know, 15, not 500, 15 to maybe 100 members, depending on how many acreage it is. It's a hunting club. Everybody pays their dues in order to keep the lease. They put rules and regulations in per that piece of land and it gives you access for you and your family going hunt and all that kind of stuff. And that's not really a thing in the Northeast, right?
2: No, I mean, not not in that aspect, no. Mm-hmm. I think we looked at it as a different... As a community, you know, join the club like we just hunt, like join the type club type thing. Like, hey, we do this stuff, you guys can do this. Like, we're kind of like an all together type thing. Um, we also kind of looked at it. So, when we first started or first had the YouTube channel, it was called Just Hunt Ducks. And we were just putting like some old waterfowl videos that we didn't use for some other contracts on there. And I was just sitting there and I'm just like, that's so directed towards one thing. And that's not who we are. You know, like we do, we just hunt. Mm-hmm. That was taken. So <laughs> we couldn't use that one. So it just kind of added club to it. Cause we had, we started the youtube channel i think it was in 2017 or 2018 yeah and it was really just a leftover channel yeah it was just me and cody like we'd hunt (laughs) geese in march and stuff and um all of our most of our waterfowl content would go into other contracts that but we'd always have extra maybe they weren't the best produced hunts so we're like when we have these why don't we just put them together and start throwing them on the channel so that's really where it started it's been but it was just like a fun thing Mm -hmm. um and then once we decided to do it as more of a business it was there it was we were already monetized like we didn't put much effort into it and it was just like okay let's just run with this so that's kind of what we did um but uh yeah it was we had it was called just hunt ducks and then we thought about it and we're like yeah because what if we want to hunt deer yeah yeah, (laughs) it was was just so it it just pigeonholed you into one thing um so then we we just kind of changed one word and now it's just on club boom awesome
0: well uh i want to kind of get into turkey hunting with you guys cody i want to ask you first off you know with both you guys being up in you know upstate new york what was your introduction to turkey hunting like did you grow up in a turkey hunting family or you like the first person to turkey hunt like what was your introduction to turkey hunting
3: i mean my my grandma kind of hunted turkeys a little bit she's the one that got me into hunting completely but um we didn't really know what we were doing. We kind of went out and messed around and with a box call and tried to call some in. We didn't really have a lot of turkeys in our area specifically. So, like, we tried, but we, we didn't really know much. And then um, I kind of, like, went on my own for a while. Just, I mean, I got some permission pieces close to my house I could ride my bike to. And I'd go out and just try to figure it out. I mean, killed some jakes, but like, I never was really that successful until, like, I... Intern for John in 2018 and then I stayed on for the the turkey season that year and filming that year just like I learned a whole bunch about turkey hunting with Brett and John and all the other guys that year and I mean that's pretty much what sprung the obsession with it a little bit more and Mm -hmm. actually understanding how to hunt them and be more successful but other than that like getting started with that really wasn't that successful, but we'd go out and try all the time. But,
0: well, I was gonna say, intro, one, one thing I'm super interested about uh, with you is you're talking about your grandmother was kind of like your introduction into hunting. Yeah. That is something I've never heard anybody say before, ever on this podcast, which is super interesting. Maybe granddad, dad, uncle, a friend, but not grandma. What, how, what, what is like her background and how did that skip like your parents' generation? It seems.
3: I mean, she grew up hunting with her parents and stuff and her brother and sister, they all still hunt to this day. And um, I mean, she's always just been a big deer hunter. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, she's just obsessed with it as much as I am. I mean, we took her out in New Hampshire last year and she shot her first bear
2: grandma nancy
3: is yeah she's on the channel dude we we put a couple videos on the channel yeah she she needs her own series dude let's go yeah Yeah. she's she's awesome she's amazing (laughs) and uh i mean she just got me into it when i was younger we were shooting squirrels and i was shooting tweety birds with bb gun you know running around as a kid and fishing with her and stuff but like i spent most of my childhood with her and she just was always in the outdoors doing that stuff and that's who really got me into all this stuff and pretty much been doing nothing
0: but that since so that's awesome now john i gotta ask you what was your introduction to turkey hunting again did you grow up in a turkey hunting family F- first to do it what looks like your background
2: getting into the sport turkey hunting oh i may get some flack for this one <laughs> so um my dad used to hunt until uh basically my sister was born um and then just you know family stuff takes, but he always, he introduced me into, he's, he loved ducks. So that was his thing. He loved birds, um, turkey hunting. We didn't have a lot of, I grew up in Southeastern Pennsylvania. We didn't have a lot of turkeys when I was younger and my uncle, I would go out with my uncle and then another mentor. Um, and you know, we'd hear turkeys gobble and stuff like that. But I honestly hunted in the fall because I, when I was deer hunting, Every time I'd sneak around the woods, and we could shoot hens back then, I'd always kick up turkeys. And like I said, I'd duck hunting and bird hunting. I'm like, oh, this is like pheasant hunting. Because mm-hmm. we had a power line that ran through the property, and they would just stack up in there. And I used to walk through that power line with my 12-gauge, and I'd flush them up like pheasants and shoot them out of the air. <laughs> and I shot quite a few like that. Um, but uh, that was like, I'm talking like 12, 13 yeah, yeah, years absolutely. old. yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, spring turkey hunting, it was kind of like a, my grandparents had a dairy farm and that's, I spent a lot of my childhood there. Um, very thankful for that where I grew up cause the public land opportunities weren't very, very much. Um, so spring turkey hunting, we would kind of like, you know, go out, hear them gobble. Oh, they didn't come in. All right. That's that. We never really chased them. I didn't really get super interested in turkey hunting until i lived in iowa and then i was hunting um with like aaron warburton Mm -hmm. um and those guys and i was like this is pretty cool like this is really cool like i didn't shoot my first long beard until i was 20 21 and it was with brett in new hampshire um so actually, you know, I guess that, that was, that was when I, that was really what got me going. And then I went back out to Iowa and was working there full time. And that was when Aaron was doing spring thunder and everything like that and filmed it a lot and got to hunting and then kind of picked up on, you know, I had great mentors, guys that were really good at it, um, and picked up on it from there. And then it was just a, I just loved it. I fell in love with it. And then when I moved back to the Northeast, it was like, we did a turkey series and, um, it was just, that was it. That was game over because now I could fulfill, fill the spring with another (laughs) obsession because the fall was already taken up. So, um, I would honestly say turkey hunting is probably my favorite thing. And it's the last thing that I got into hunting wise. Um, and it's just, I love the people you meet I like the vocalizations that you can, I always have, loved communicating with the animals mm-hmm. that's why i always liked waterfowl hunting growing same up here yeah. you know call to something and see it react to how you're speaking to it you know um, it's pretty, same good, with,
0: pretty good instant feedback
2: yeah same with deer i love calling to deer and if i can see how they react to that it's just you know that's my thing i guess is what i enjoyed and that's why i really liked about turkey hunting you know yeah. like a goose will honk uh-huh. back at you or a duck may you know quack back at you but a gobble all right that'll work <laughs> And that's why I haven't gone elk hunting yet.
0: <laughs> so, so, um, was you, so your first introduction to hunting, was it waterfowl with your dad? Was that the first thing y'all did it, or was, or was deer like pretty my, early on? My it?
2: first introduction to hunting was, I think I was probably seven years old. And, uh, my dad's friend, Rod was a big mentor in me getting into hunting. He had shot a buck with his bow and my dad was like, do you want to go, you know, blood trail it and i'm like oh yeah like let's go and uh we went out and we found the buck and i watched rod start gutting the deer and i looked at my dad and i said i'm never gonna hunt in my life like i was disgusted i was like what is this is gross you know and now here i am and so, like, <laughs> that was my first inter- introduction but no i uh uh i'd say it was it was pretty break even with deer and and waterfowl. Um, My dad would take me out for the youth waterfowl, and then we'd sit for deer and stuff like that. So, um, it was both. I would say it's pretty split down the middle.
0: I've got to ask you guys this before we really dive hard into turkeys what is the turkey hunting culture like in, say, the upper northeast, kind of like where y'all are from? I mean, because like the southeast, like everybody knows, like when it comes to turkey hunting like the Southeast has had the culture mostly because they've had, we've had the birds the longest generally when it comes to, especially Easterns. Um, but like, what's the culture like up there where you guys are at and kind of in that general
2: area in the Northeast? Very new. So, um, you know, not getting into it until I was older, I guess it's kind of harder for me to speak. So I'll just like speak for, you know, Brett, his, he's, he'll always say like, he remembers the first time they saw a Turkey on the road when he was younger and him and his dad just sat there and watched it. Cause it was like, Whoa, like this is super cool. So like the culture there, we don't have that deep rooted Turkey hunting culture, like you guys do in the Southeast. So it's a lot of, you know, that age group of like, um, I think Brett's like mid Mm thirties. They're kind of like the first generation to have that full. And now their kids are getting to be that age of, having an entire lifetime of seeing turkeys um so i would say the best way to describe it is it's just it's just brand new it's still formulating there's not really i can't even say that there's a culture there with it. it's just so
0: new it's so new that it's it's like the culture still just hasn't built yet there's not
2: generations that have hunted turkeys there's really you know one generation maybe two since there's been turkeys up there in a huntable yeah that's fascinating yeah
0: so I, I want to talk with you guys. So since y'all really have dove deep into Turkey, especially the last uh, ever, how many years, what has been like when you talk about starting out new, I mean, talking green, having a little success, what were some of those first lessons that y'all have learned that have been extremely impactful for you for like the longevity of y'all start getting career so far?
2: Yeah. So one thing I always say about the Northeast is we're very fortunate with the, um, amount of birds we have the amount of access to hunt those birds and how much those birds love to gobble it makes you have a lot more screw-ups and experiences that maybe a hunter in Alabama gets one of those a year we're able to get maybe two or three of those a day so you make like A lot of mistakes but you can recoup and learn from them so like i always say like you know a guy that's coming from the south if he messes up he's that's probably that's his day Mm -hmm. um so if you look at that all over a season the amount of mistakes that we have made and learned from may be you know an average turkey hunters three years of experiences that we get in a year um i would say in that general region uh, just being aggressive is really the the most that I've learned um, in that region specifically and covering areas covering ground and not we've been we're fortunate enough to be like hey this one is kind of being not wanting to do it let's go on to the next one mm-hmm. you know there's let's just go leave them so we've that's that's something that we do a lot is not getting stuck on a bird because we have the opportunities to get on many of them um but once we started traveling i'd say like appalachia and you know the you know down north carolina compared to like where we have hunted down south is is uh the terrain utilizing the terrain getting birds to do certain things based off the terrain um like, when we go down to Alabama where we hunt, it stresses me out because I just feel like I'm, like, <laughs> standing, and I'm just like, I can't I can't move, I can't do anything. Where we're, you know, up here and stuff, mm-hmm. you're, you're like, ah, he's there, we can just drop off the backside of the ridge and circle around him. Um, but, yeah, I'd say that that would be it for me. I don't know about. Uh,
0: I'm trying to think. So, well, kind of early on, Cody, what is, like, Do you remember, like, any lessons you learned maybe the first four or five, six years of turkey hunting, especially when you started having some success that you're, like, is still, like, a lesson that was, like, impactful for you, as in, like, that started making you kind of have a better idea, at least how to hunt some of those birds up there before you started branching out to other states? I mean, understanding how to move on birds, I learned a lot of that once I started hunting with,
3: like, Brett and them. Um, Just wrap around, getting above them, that's a big thing. I mean, I never, I always just kind of sat still before and just making more moves on birds and like he said you constantly mess up on stuff so you kind of tweak stuff as you go you know and when you can and can't move and when you should and shouldn't move like that kind of stuff just kind of came as the experiences came and
2: just you know uh being being in a place where you know i think as a young hunter you kind of are looking at a bird as he's coming to you, right? Not getting to a place where the bird, where it makes sense for the mm-hmm. bird to be going. I feel like we do that, and I, I still feel like I do that sometimes, too, but now, but, like, looking at him and be like, oh, yeah, 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 no, I'm just going to sit there. He's gobbling. Like, I'm, he's, he'll come to me, but not thinking about, like, okay, maybe there's a huge rock wall there, or like, getting to a place that makes sense for that bird to actually want to go to. Yeah. It's like kind of comes back down to like woodsmanship skills and like
0: knowing the lay of the land and understanding, especially more times in the woods, um, scouting the whole nine yards of figuring out how those turkeys are using that landscape, whether in flatland, hill country or mountains like we're right now, uh, which we, I think we've all had uh, interesting experiences so far on these mountain birds, Mm -hmm. but how they use that area and then how you can also use to potentially put yourself in the right position to it's because, like, we, we had a conversation with Josh, and he was talking about this with these mountain birds. He's like, you know, if a bird's gobbling, that's one thing. But if you can figure out where that bird's heading to, and he may be answering your calls, but he might be walking in a different direction. If you can go where he's already going, and a lot, you hear a lot of turkey say this, if you can get in the general area of path of travel that that turkey's already heading to and you call... He's a lot more likelihood to be gobbling and coming into you because you're kind of already going to where he's wanting to be.
2: Makes sense for him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it, feel, it seems like, especially like in hill country and more mountainous country, that really is a huge factor. I can see it also being like flatland, river bottom, stuff like that. Like those turkeys are on a path, they're going to a certain area, they're a little high spot, the little knob, whatever it is. And if you can kind of, you know, either beat them to it or get in that area where they're already comfortable being in, it, it's like you have more success in those right. locations. Yeah. So, now, with you guys kind of traveling around and hunting a bunch of different states, have y'all kept track of exactly how many states y'all have hunted for turkeys?
2: I haven't. Um, <clears throat> Maine, I can list them. Yeah. yeah. Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New York, Kentucky, Virginia, Alabama, Tennessee, Tennessee, Mississippi, Mississippi, Iowa. Ohio. Did you do Virginia already? Yeah. And unfortunately, not West Virginia.
3: Oh, Michigan. <laughs> Michigan. Uh, Indiana.
2: Um. We haven't really, basically most of the stuff that's mm-hmm. east, you know, we haven't gotten to the western stuff. We haven't done down south, southern, oh, North Carolina. We've done North Carolina. The southern part of the state besides that we haven't done we haven't moved really west of yeah that. um it's on the radar but it's really hard to leave like hunting yeah I, I haven't done it yet so i can't say that i wouldn't love it i think i'd love the country out out there but it's hard to leave our birds in the on the east
0: so I'll, i want to talk about this from all the different states especially on the east coast it seems like most of the ones on the east east coast southeast kind of mid-south all that y- y'all have covered have y'all learned anything about how birds in different regions of the country act as in some of the birds from the Northeast compared to maybe like the mid South, the deep South. Um, what's kind of in like the Midwest, like what's your take on like, maybe like, is there been anything that's like, Hey, like, the deep South birds do something very different mm-hmm. than it seems like from the Northern birds or like the Midwest bird, like yeah. what? what's like some takeaways y'all have had from hunting all those different States?
2: Uh, That the birds in the Southeast definitely are not as vocal as our birds. Um, You know, it kind of goes back to the hunting culture. You know, you guys have had turkeys for so long that have been hunted for so long and your culture is very deep rooted. We've got new turkeys that haven't been hunted very long <laughs> by not very good turkey hunters because they've never hunted turkeys yeah um and that may change but at this moment our turkeys are very vocal they're very aggressive and like they'll come to you you don't have to sit and wait for them like i was saying before we'll move on birds if they're not doing what we want them to do then we're just gonna leave where like in the southeast we just call it deer hunting you know like the bird i shot in alabama this year is just like After I shot him, I didn't really feel like I shot him because it wasn't what I was used to. You know, like he didn't gobble. I just sat there, Mm -hmm. listened to him walk through the leaves, and he popped up scared, and I shot him. (laughs) And I think, I don't know if, I think I was telling you for the, and we've only hunted, you know, Alabama and Mississippi for the last three years, but in that, the last three years there, I've only been on one hunt that the bird gobbled any gobbled that we killed, any gobbled, or no, I'm sorry, two hunts. Um, I've had one hunt where a bird came in gobbling, basically, and that was a Mississippi. Um, and it was awesome. But uh, the rest of them have been kind of like sneaking around, getting into a, a pocket where you know there's birds or you know there's sign, you know, maybe calling a little bit and just bas- being vigilant and waiting for them to come sneaking in. Um, around here I feel like birds we've had mixed experiences in like Kentucky and stuff to we haven't hunted in 2 years but 2 years ago we hit the timing was phenomenal birds were super vocal and then you contrast that to this year where <clears throat> the timing may not be exactly perfect and they're end up and they're very they're very vocal on the roost but after that for us we've we've struggled um we've had great Vocal hunts in Virginia, oh, yeah. those birds are really fun to hunt. uh It's have you ever hunted Virginia?
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's on the list.
2: Yeah, so it's you know the the type of stuff we hunt is if you just kind of stretched all this out, and made it really big. Um, you can move on birds. There's a lot of them, and it's a it's a really fun state to hunt. I mean,
3: it's been vocal in the last couple of years, but this then year, this year, yeah. this year they're hand up real bad and yeah. just doing weird stuff. It must be in a weird phase of the breeding cycle, you know, and they just. Weren't talking after fly down I mean much like we've been Dealing with here um, Which is probably just The stage in spring You know mm-hmm. Which we kind of just fouled it right up To here but
0: Speak of Virginia Was Virginia the, the Bird that flew down Real early
3: Yeah Okay we if, gotta if talk you... about
0: that Because this is crazy dude. I
3: mean as, what was shooting light, like six thirty six roughly six twenty six thirty was shooting light. I mean, he gobbled
2: I, at 5.15. Yeah, the yeah, we first time we heard
3: him. We were just walking in, we saw a bunch of fresh scratching, and we're like, I just was like, hey, I might as well hoot. Maybe one will answer if one answer is good because it's pitch black out. And I hooted, and he gobbled it like and He was only probably 200 yards from us. Yeah, I just saw the fresh scratching that was, had to have been last night, like before he flew up. So I was just, there got to be a turkey close. So I hooted, and he gobbled early. And then we did a big sneak around and got up on top above him, sat down, which I'll come back on it, but – um He's gobbling on the roost, and we never made a call. We were just sitting there, and then he, we're still getting camera gear ready and everything. And then I hear something. I'm like, John, I think he just flew down. Like I thought,
2: I just heard his a- words. were, you may think I'm crazy, but that sounded like a fly down. At what time? I it was, five ten. No, no, it was it was after.
3: It oh was no no no, no. six. Yeah, it he, was yeah. It I don't was know like, what time it was. But. It was
2: before legal shoot. If say legal shooting light was six thirty, it was like, I mean probably 10 minutes before legal
3: shooting it, light it was it was dark it, like barely could see and we're sitting there and i can hear walking in the leaves i'm like i'm pretty sure he did fly down and then i s- hear him spit drum and i look over and i could see him strutting like right in front of me but you didn't and, realize
2: it was a turkey at first yeah it was it, so dark you thought was, it was a lot because
3: he was kind of doing those things where they fly down and they sit in one spot and spit and mm-hmm. sit and spin and strut around and i thought it was like a stump and then he turned and i was like uh, he's right here just strutting <laughs> and i i wasn't sure it was so dark i wasn't sure how far he was and then when i kind of got a good look at him i told john and it was behind some trees for john to film i'm like i think he's like 65 yards like but he might work right up to us and then it turns out after a while of him strutting there he got a little lighter hen flew down she made some noise below us i, I didn't really feel comfortable calling because it's wide open hardwoods no foliage and i just knew he could see right where i was and the chances of them kind of breaking i mean maybe looking back i probably could have called a little bit more and broke them but i just was nervous on just you know you call and they look and don't see anything there's a really good chance that he
2: was just going to work right up to us without anything without
3: anything yeah so we were just waiting and the hen flew down below us and she made some calls and uh he just walked right down to her and me thinking it was 65 yards after they worked off we stood up and i'm looking i'm like that's 40 yards max like that's how dark it was it's like setting decoys in the dark for ducks like you're like oh i think these are way too far and it gets light and they're only 25 yard 20 yards from it, you know so uh it was just it was our, dark dark
2: and our thought process on that was yeah we think that he heard us mm. getting set up yeah, and like yeah. moving in the leaves and was like Oh, heads oh, down. heads oh. down, yeah. I yeah. guess I should be down. I
3: mean, we came in real nice and easy. It made yeah. it sound like a hen walking, you know? Like, we we weren't making too much noise. It was noise. dark. I mean...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, he was ready to roll for that day. <laughs> yeah. He's like, come on now.
2: Yeah. With that being said, we probably should have called because it was dark because he wouldn't have been able to see us because yeah. it was too dark. I just was
3: thinking... Yeah, um, I've never seen him. I've That was crazy. Yeah, I've, I've never seen him fly down
0: that and, I mean, in Goblin, an hour and... 15 minutes before legal, dude. yeah, not even oh,
3: yeah. cracking light yet. Yeah, I, I don't even know what his problem was. It's, it's not really
2: like... what dreams are made of if they gobble an hour before legal light and you can, you're within 200 yards. So, of you,
0: I mean, you, you're not joking, dude. I mean, I've seen like maybe 20 minutes before legal light, 20, 30 minutes. Like, okay, like, yeah, yeah. you know, goblin, you know, goblin early, but uh, an hour and 15 is crazy, dude. And he's like, he was, I that, that turkey was ready to roll. Um, uh, speak about like the roost and everything y- y'all brought something up earlier that we were talking about uh not on the podcast but just previously talking about like the differences between like say how some of these birds down here in like say kentucky west virginia and some other places y'all been how they pitch out of the roost compared to like what y'all see with the northeast birds can, can y'all talk a little bit about that because i found that really interesting just because i haven't experienced like the northeast but like what we're seeing down here is kind of similar to what I've seen in Alabama is in, you know, they're, you know, they're not always flying to like, a certain direction or to a certain, like, you know, train feature or anything. C- can y'all talk a little bit about this and explain kind of y'all's thought process between the different fly-downs that y'all have yeah. seen in the landing patterns? I yeah. And
3: in Virginia, like, I mean, this isn't consistent all over the place, you know, but, like, early when we were in there, I mean, you know, the number one rule when you're hunting turkeys and they're flying down is probably – well no matter what is to get above them whether they're on the ground or in a tree and then when they're pitching off a bank like into like a bottom they're going to go up high and with the least amount of effort possible fly up in a tree just kind of hop off the bank fly a little bit land on a limb and then you think most of the time they do the same thing coming down they just kind of glide into the bank and they're done They're, they're not fighting going through trees and all that stuff and Typically, they're just going to pitch right to the top or the, the bank and either walk up or walk down where they're going to go. But um, in Virginia, we kept running into first couple days, they're pitching right out of the trees and going straight to the bottoms. I mean, but it was the first green up, you know, uh, everything up above didn't even have buds on it. So the bottoms or the creeks were, were starting to green up a little bit. So that's where they're wanting to hang out neat. But like they wouldn't even pitch to the side of the bank. So we'd set up above them. They kept pitching to the bottom. We did that for two days and we're like, no, we're going to break the rule. We're going to go way below them. We're going to sit below them. And we sat below them and sure, they flew right to the top like they're supposed to. But I don't, it's just kind of inconsistent.
2: Yeah. And where we hunt a lot in the Northeast, like I was saying, yeah. if we roost a bird for the most part, like, and when I say roost, it's pretty much seeing the tree he's in. Like it's a very detailed this is, it's not like, oh, he's on this ridge or Mm -hmm. he's, you know, down. It's like, he is right here. And, uh, that I'd say that we probably have a 90, if we do not spook that bird, it's like a 90% success rate of killing that Turkey. But our stuff is very, we have big mountains. We have a lot of, but our birds for the most part are going to do your stereotypical, what he just said. If you get, if you have a bird roosted right over a bank and you can get to the, where you can shoot that bank, he's gonna pitch into that side hill and he's gonna side hill every single time. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I should ne- never say every single time in hunting, but the majority of the time he's gonna do what you would think about him doing. Um, and we've shot, we used to, we used to do that a lot. We don't do it as much anymore because it was so like started to get to a point where it was like. Almost we're gonna go. Out. We're gonna go in there and shoot that bird in the morning, and we'll do it. And it's fun. It's really the coolest thing about that is you're watching that bird wake up in the morning, and you're seeing everything that he does because you're looking at him. Now how tight are y'all getting to him typically? <sighs> Under hundred, completely. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, we've been depending on the terrain. Like the the day that we doubled when Brett got the bloody nose, yeah. we were within we were within thirty yards of those birds, just because it dropped off steep like it was here and it was thick on top we had to, so they wouldn't like it would Yeah, process. it was an old it was an old uh orchard so it was uh-huh. super thick on top and then it went and it just dropped straight off so like the only way for us to be able to shoot down that bank was to basically be eye level with them and we got in there in the dark and cody had roosted the birds before and we just that was the only way we could shoot the bank but if you they did exactly what they were supposed to do one flew down i shot it and then another one flew flew down and came walking up and brett shot it and that was that um but uh but yeah they do what you would expect one they're a little more consistent in the northeast than yeah. how
3: they fly down and fly up yeah. but like i don't know like i've never really seen birds until this year just like come off the top of a ridge roosted and just pitch through all the trees, right to the bottom,
2: and a lot of the times those aren't like we'll we'll, we'll try to. F- it kind of goes back to having the ample opportunities of birds is. Excuse me. We can uh, we can be picky on the bird weavers, right? So like if we watch a tom roost with a bunch of hens, all right, let's find the one that's gobbling his head off at night by himself. You know that bird's gonna be probably a little bit more receptive to us sitting there and, you know, maybe making a couple light tree helps him thinking
1: there's a hen right there. He's going to be like, mine, you know. to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast.
0: True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the precision hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far?
1: Yeah, I've always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, thirty and fifty, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from thirty to fifty. And the fifty yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when I, we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision
0: hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you could head over to TrueLockChokes.com. lock that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at true dot and save 10% on your order. Again, give true lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with true lock. Do y'all do any kind of like fly down? Like, uh, not like a cackle or anything per se, but like a, especially if you're not like I mean, if you talk about sub 100 yards from I mean, that's pretty tight. But, I mean, do y'all ever do anything when it comes to uh, other than, like, soft tree ups, like, you know, smacking your head or a wing or something up against your leg with f- it? Like
2: if we're further and have some cover, mm-hmm. yeah. Like,
3: if you're going in the morning and you're standing somewhere and you don't know where any turkeys are and you hear a gobble and you're making a move like that, yeah, I could see doing that because you don't know what's up in the trees there. And, yeah, I mean, he may not even think there's a hen up there, so maybe... Adding a little bit of realism to it, scratching leaves and flying, doing a fly down cackle. I mean, we'll do that sometimes, but we
2: we usually mostly focus on getting yourself as as comfortable as you possibly can in the dark because once it gets once that sun breaks and he wakes up, if you're moving, he's gonna see you.
0: So any, any tips on getting super comfy? I mean, do y'all use like loungers or something? I mean, like chairs or
2: no? It's just clear out the debris. Don't get sit on a get rock. Get there dark. You can think about it, like turkeys at night. You know how many animals are working through under them making noise mm-hmm. so it's not like we're not going to go in there and sound like i mean mm-hmm. we're you know have two or three guys every time so we have double the sound that a normal guy would have but get clear the
3: brush out we get there plenty early so like you have time guard, to just move slow when they're not sound like a um, deer, or raccoon. A deer
2: or a raccoon or something like that um we've used a lot of or we used the I don't even know which. It's an Alps vest. It has like a commander
0: vest with a frame
2: pack. It's not a, yeah, it's like a stadium seat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Those are nice because we do, we do set up a lot too, like in in brush and stuff like that Mm -hmm. to where if you don't have, here with Autumn Olives. Yeah. If you don't have like a backrest, it's hard to sit still. And if you're tight on one and you're moving around trying to, you know, make your butt in a different position because it's falling asleep, it gets, you're going to get picked off. Um, And we've gotten picked off a lot so that's that that's that 10 percent there um but uh but yeah yeah and and you know it we kind of we like the i think it really started once we started hunting more like appalachian bigger terrain stuff is Mm -hmm. like getting there hearing one gobble and then pulling the the move on them that's way more fun it's just more of like a like a hunt Mm -hmm. you know um and I'm not taking anything away from shooting them off the roost. It's a different type of, it's a different type of hunt. Yeah. You know the hunt, the hunt when you're sh- shooting them off the roost really is the day before. You're the you're staying out there till 10 o'clock to really get your game plan, peg them, and like put the all the the ball in your court. And that was kind of like, that's how Brett really got into turkey hunting because he'd have to try to get it done before he had to go to work. Mm. right so he had and if he didn't shoot him right off the rip then that's his day he wasn't able to run and gun and um like a lot of people probably don't know but like when we've done like all these turkey series and stuff like that like brett's done that with his full-time job so like he's getting up at 3 30 in the morning to sit on a tree track shoot a turkey and then goes and works eight hours comes back roost one and you know so that was what made the most sense to make him successful so that's really what we we've done a lot of because it was kind of like a playbook we had our playbook and it worked
3: it doesn't always work out like that where you can get a bird roosted for the morning no. you know it's not like an everyday thing but our uh, birds
2: tend to, especially in new england tend to gobble pretty good in the evenings yeah so it's you know you can usually get one to gobble
0: yeah so see that's something that's uh fascinating when it comes to like this success of hunting roost because again i know guys you know i've done it in alabama like i found a roost tree this year which typically you don't really find like i don't know many guys that especially on public land find like actual roost trees that one. a gobbler's using yeah. yeah and i found one and the, the gobblers actually strutting down underneath the tree and spends a ton of time there i, bu- I actually bumped a gobbler bumped a gobbler out from underneath it when i found it and uh i went in there got it but i don't know by the time this episode came out probably three four weeks ago but Went in there about a week and a half ago. Sat under a tree. I was like 60, 55 yards from that roost tree. It's down in a, a, a drainage. He's actually pitching off a real steep embankment down to a huge pine tree down the bottom, and it's a real tight bottom. Like it's, it's not real wide. And uh, you know he's got strut marks all down the bottom. So I'm like, dude, when his feet touch the ground, like I ain't gonna say nothing. It's just boom, it's over. Um, and come to find out, whether it's that guy or another gobbler, he wasn't roosting that tree. He was roosting a tree. Just up from me, still inside 75 yards of me. Um, and uh, it, it was kind of interesting where I thought he was gonna kind of pitch down to the side hill, come down to the bottom. He didn't, he pitched the side hill, worked completely away, went up onto a little bench higher up on the ridge, and just gobbled his head off. And While I tried to make a move, he just kept going, he kept cruising with some hens, um, higher up, and then he stopped gobbling, couldn't get back on those birds again. Typical Alabama hunt, at least what we deal with Puglin. Yeah, five or six times on the limb, hit the ground, gobble once or twice, and then good luck trying to go find him again. Um, so that is kind of interesting when you're seeing guys like yourselves and like Brett and everybody like having success on the roost. Because again, I know a lot of people that don't have success right. hunting roost trees. Uh, and it's more like, more times than not, it seems like you're bumping those birds for whatever reason. Like, again, you step in a spot where you're just maybe too close, you don't have enough cover, um, or, or whatever the case is where you just, you don't have a good opportunity to either imitate a hen that's close by that's flying down or you know you're just outside the bubble that you know if there's a hen close by you know you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot like she's going to come in uh and potentially ruin that hunt which did y'all have that happened today for you guys yeah is that right okay We're,
2: yeah that's kind of our assumption of why that bird shut up cody had heard a hen coming up from the backside and it just kind of timed up perfectly yeah, he was gobbling really good at us. <laughs> he was hammering
3: we, he thought We thought he was going to walk down the spine and while he was kind of working up to the top and then thought he was going to work right down the spine to us because he was out on a finger, uh, I heard a hen uh, yelping going up the hill and I, I said that she's going to meet up with him and as soon as about the time, like five minutes later, he shut up and they just kind of disappeared. So you got to kind of get there before him but some of the best hunts we've had are when we blow the hens completely out of the roost and not him because then he's desperate and he don't know where all his girls are and usually
2: it's on accident
3: yeah no, i mean it's never, like it's the never, way you
2: set up it's never on purpose yeah, yeah like if you got like if he's got you got a tom roosted and you know you got him to gobble or whatever you got there at last light you didn't see him fly up or anything and he's got hens you know maybe 100 yards away when you go in that early if they're that far away and you kind of bust them up on accident his world has just changed and he's gonna be pretty upset about it because you yeah you just took took their place um I mean that's how we almost killed that bird in p a yeah I mean we we were it was the first time we were ever in and we blew I mean we thought we were like every bird in the county out of that and that was one of the best – I mean without killing a bird that was one of the best gobbling days I've had in the, in the woods.
3: He was roosted a little further, like he was roosted probably 150 yards yeah. from the hens. So, and we just happened to walk right through the hens and we didn't get there till about gobble time, you know, cause we had no idea what was in there. And we had to pretty much walk through the hens to get to him We had no idea. And when we walked by that tree, they all busted out of there. There was like three or four of them, wasn't there? And yeah. then well, we made the move around and got on him and, he, we almost killed him. And then we tried hunting them for three or four more days after that. And he had his hens and he'd fly down in some middle of some mountain Laurel and he'd never come out. So it's, I mean, I think that was our one ticket to kill that
2: bird. Cause yeah.
0: <laughs> what's been some of the most challenging, like terrain, habitat and or States that y'all been in. What'd you say?
2: I'd say the Southeast where we've that particular area that we've hunted. Um, so when we've, I'll, kind of relate it more to like southern alabama um that's like a lot of uh swamp type stuff and just flat just super flat and it's just like not a lot of eggs, unless you have you know brush or you know thick pines Mm -hmm. or something like that it's just like i just find myself getting stuck like we when we struck those birds this year it was just like uh, i don't know what to do like i just like I'm used to being able to have something to work with, and I, you know, have a hard time just like plopping down and being like, oh, well, let's just wait. So. so
3: I I like the rough terrain and like the the fingers and stuff to work around and like Virginia and like Northeast and stuff like that. But like around here, um, it's so steep and like you're on one bird on one big spine ridge. And he flies down with hens and leaves, and you got another bird hammering. I'm used to being able to just be able to run over there, and try to get on him, work him in, and try to kill him. But like here, we're hearing a bird gobble the next ridge over, and we're like, he we sounds need to like him.
2: he's right in your grill. Well, I mean, cause he's,
3: yeah, we well, got yeah. a pretty good peg on him, like on the next, like. Ridge up, but it's gonna take you an hour and a half to get to him. And by the time you get to him, he may shut up or call the to
2: today. If we yeah. would have tried to go straight to that bird, it was literally like we should have we would have had to have rock repelling gear. It was a fifty foot <laughs> rock face. And it's like and then by the time we got around and got out where we could physically walk out, that was it. It was over.
3: So I I feel like this kind of terrain is more challenging. I mean like you you have some more finger ridges that come down something that's a little more gradual maybe like like in virginia there's just big spine ridges and there's a bunch of fingers that come down off of it and you can kind of wrap around a finger and make a move but here it's just like flat sides oh and yeah it's not there's not very much like topography change as in like it's the side broken. of the bank yeah it's, it's just broken. like straight
2: yeah, yeah
0: You don't have, like, the bulges or, like, the little – you don't have a ton of benches or anything coming off or anything you can, like, work around. Yeah. Because, like, that's what happened to me this morning, which we'll talk about in another episode. But it's like, you know, I got pinned. I, it's my fault, but I put myself in between two birds that were entirely too close. And it was just oh, – all it was it was a super steep face off each side. And there's no way to work them. So I try to gang elevation, get, actually put some distance between me and the birds and just made too much noise. And uh, the one that was the closest, he shut up. Never even heard him fly down. The one that the other one had a hen or had hens with him. Um, so yeah, that that is something that's really interesting, especially about up here, because I'm, I'm used to the same thing. Cody is like, you know, we hunt stuff in like Alabama or Tennessee mm-hmm. or Georgia, and it's like you typically have every few hundred yards some kind of terrain feature you could use to Bail your off to hide. yeah, in, to yeah. Hide, like a ditch or something, like a little like a wash or something you could like hide just something.
3: just enough of a roll to get. Just right below them where they can't see it, you know?
0: Yeah, and it's like, out here, it's like, you'll have 500 yards of a a flat face on this mountain that is about as steep as you can get without the earth falling out yeah and that's six
2: foot and then the spine is six foot wide oh yeah and you can't walk on it because you're just going to skyline
0: yourself (laughs) so you know you get you know iron for ankles yeah you hold side hill hill, oh yeah dude it's like yeah it's it's it is fascinating so that has been interesting kind of seeing like what it's like hunting here with this specific kind of terrain bigger terrain but in virginia virginia gets a lot higher elevation i don't know like necessarily how high elevation you guys get yeah it's like you have have a lot of different options that I can state like that is in like the areas to hunt and like I mean, well you can go
2: to like the east eastern part of it which is you know a lot more like flat mm-hmm. farm ground you know rolling hills or and then you can go to the northern part of it and it's you know what i don't I'm know if you can get as a five thousand foot elevation yeah. mountains and you can go down to Southwest part of it, running into, you know, the Blue Ridge Mountains into North Carolina. I mean, it has... There's so many different areas you can go. Um, I think that's what's cool about just kind of the East Coast Mm -hmm. system is you can get... I mean, same with Georgia. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to Southern Georgia, you're hunting, you know, similar stuff to, like, you know, Southern Alabama, but then you can get into some serious mountains in Georgia. Like, when we hunted North Carolina last year, it was... It was that was that was the most rugged stuff that I've ever hunted. It was turkeys everywhere, they just weren't right, you <laughs> yeah. know. That seems to be the pattern, they just weren't right, yeah. Um, Brett killed one the first day, but uh, that stuff was wild. So, you would take you could t- have you ever hunted North Carolina? No,
0: I'm not, no, 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 okay.
2: So, like, if actually,
0: you actually no, take a take a back, I have killed a bird in North Carolina, but it wasn't in like very rugged part of the state. Was it flatland? Was it rugged? Yeah. In the middle, anyway. So,
2: like, you could take parts of, like, this type of terrain mm-hmm. and then just cover the entire face with mountain laurel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, but it's like, when I you mean, get in. You could study maps, and that's what we, yeah. we had to do. We had you to find study. the pockets that make sense for there to be birds. And when you And find, when you need
0: pockets, like, an opening in the mountain laurel.
2: I, I mean, I can't remember. No, just completely nix the mountain
0: laurel oh okay gotcha yeah i mean i can't yeah. remember
3: the exact hill face but there was certain hill faces that were just every time mountain laurel yeah, was, and then the opposite hill face would be all hard a lot woods of the north stuff.
2: northerly facing there slopes. You go. yeah i just i couldn't remember be mountain, mountain laurel and then um you know we found like you know southeasterly bowly, mm-hmm. hardwoods that were crazy steep and you know fed down into like a you know some creeks and drainages and stuff and um, that was a place, you know, similar to, like, what we're running into in Kentucky where the sign is just, like, there's turkeys everywhere. Mm-hmm. But, they but they just North don't want Car- to talk. Yeah, North Carolina, they didn't even want to talk on the roost. Like, they didn't make a peep. And, like, when we talked to people there that were, they were like, oh, yeah, you should have been here last week. You know, it's just like, oh, thanks. It always yeah, seems that way. Thank you. yeah it always seems that <laughs> that's way. That's, that's the problem with traveling, you yeah. know. Yeah. You, you, you're stuck you have with the time. time
3: but. Yeah. I mean, you could miss it by a day. I mean when we were scouting in Kentucky on Friday, I mean, it was phenomenal. Like we thought we were in the chips. We thought we were gonna just go up in there and kill our birds and leave, but and then just the next day they just barely talked on the roost and flew down and shut up and I don't know, I just I just think it can change day by day and you just gotta be out there to catch that right day, you know.
0: Yeah, it's so weird. Uh and I'm sure there's some a little bit of data on this, Dr. Chandler or some other biologists maybe have looked at, but like how how variable the gobbling activity can be, mm-hmm. and like some people will blame it on um uh, you know different you know weather patterns all this kind of stuff, but it's like you know I've had people tell telling me that like you know on a high pressure morning or like a rising pressure morning like the pressure's rising like a post front that you know you have good gobbling activity and I've seen it be true. I've also seen it be completely false. Yeah. At least on one of the properties I went on where I was like, dude, it's gonna be one of the best gobbling mornings. You know, cold nice, cool, crisp, you know, in the upper 40s, high pressure rolling in that morning. It was rolling in, it was rising, and zero turkeys talked. And we were in areas with birds. A lot yeah. of birds. Um uh, so yeah, it is kind of weird, especially dealing with that. And it's frustrating, especially when you're traveling and you're hunting different places. Cause like again, coming from Alabama, both birds I've killed this year in Alabama came inside. They didn't gobble. They gobble on the roost I killed him like four hours later, like back in the general area that they had been roosting and killed him. Came in silent, took calls. Okay. You hear him spit drum, or do you sometimes you don't hear that? You just hear footsteps next thing you know, he pops out and you're shooting him. And again, you know, that's kind of more like, you know, John, like you're saying, like a little more kind of deer hunting him because, yeah, you're calling a little bit, but it's much more trying to like pay attention to the surroundings.
2: Yeah. And, and you're waiting for that head maybe, to pop up. Maybe deter him to be like, eh, I'm yeah. Try. yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's like, that's not the most exciting way to turkey hunt. It's, like when it comes it's rewarding. to it's rewarding when it comes together cuz like holy crap dude like you know it worked. but it's it's again that's not what people think of when they think of turkey hunting they right. think of you know you know birds hammering hard uh you know the fast pace um just vocal hunts and uh you know like this morning we kind of had we had that I mean a lot more than the last few mornings cuz it's been quiet for the last few mornings here in West Virginia but uh like this morning again had four birds that were gobbling pretty good one one was gobbling really good on the limb. He got down, had hens. The other one, we buggered a little bit, getting too close to him, made it too much noise. And the other one, he gobbled on the ground a few times. We tried to reposition, and when I got over there, there was two Jake's there. So I don't think it was the Jake's necessarily yeah. gobbling, but there was Jake's in the area. Um, so it is kind of interesting just how different they can change. And when you're traveling, you have five days to 100 place or four days, or three days, right. or maybe seven days. It's like you're just dealing with conditions you have at your hands, and it's like, you know, you kinda, especially y'all coming from the area of the country y'all come from, you know, y'all just can run and gun and just make it happen. Cause like if one bird doesn't work and y'all mentioned a bunch of times this week, if if a bird's not working, we're just going to go find another bird.
2: And if it's garbage, we just don't hunt because we have the season, you know, like we're going to pick the days that are good. You know, where when you're on a trip, you're like, I'm, you're on trip, I'm on a trip. I'm gonna hunt. Yeah. You know, like that was like us yesterday after some unfortunate events happened. It was like, <laughs> well, we're just gonna hunt all day, and like, that's a when states like Kentucky, that's a long freaking day. Mm-hmm. Like we were shot, but you kind of. Oh okay, yeah, I texted. I texted
0: y'all. I was like, "Are y'all okay?" Because it was yeah. like nine thirty, and I'm like, I "Had it heard yeah, for you We me didn't get uh, back
2: till after ten, and we yeah. <laughs> got up at three thirty in the morning. So crazy, dude. But like, uh, yeah, and then you'll have the, those days in the Northeast. If you're roosting birds, are very similar because like we it's the East Coast, so that sun. We're the first ones it gets. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've shot birds before 5 a.m. That's what I
0: was going to say. Because, yeah. Cody, you mentioned that. And I was like, well, I can't even yeah, comprehend it. I, They're coming from Central Time Zone, but like right. still, like I can't yeah. even comprehend that.
3: I shot a bird a couple of years ago in New Hampshire at, I think, a little before, 450. 450, I pulled the trigger right around that. I mean, and when you get up in, like, Maine, especially when you get Eastern Maine, like, that stuff... You get the crack of light coming off the ocean early, you know, and you got to be out there at three o'clock, two thirty, yeah. three and then o'clock, then you're you're getting out of bed. And you're then, still roosting birds. Yeah, yeah. Nine,
2: ten o'clock if you want to roost a bird. Dry, and then yeah. you're sleeping a couple hours. Yeah, it's a
0: quick nap. It's more. a different.
2: It's a different. Like I would honestly say, like these trips that we do right now, the grind of, I mean, grind is such a like word that you know but like yeah. the 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 grind of the northeast is way worse than this like i could i come down here and work run this terrain for 7 days and not be as tired as like if we're hunting massachusetts and you know similar situation where you know we have an hour drive in the morning and we're roosting birds at night and you're getting up at 2:30 like yeah it's do, do that for 2 or 3 days I would take hunting all day, every day for seven days in Kentucky over that. Yeah. I mean,
3: we're waking up yeah. about the time that I, you can just about shoot sometimes in May up by us. I mean, yeah. we're waking up at what four 45 right now, mm-hmm. five o'clock. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I shot a bird before then up there. So then you gotta think you gotta get underneath them. If you roosted them yeah. Yeah, again, they're super early in the
0: dark, dude. I, I wish God, uh, I, I, spot, spot, we're hunting. Well, it not the spot we're hunting, dude, it, this is the, some of the furthest I've walked into Turkey and we're three plus miles into where we're listening for birds in the morning. Yeah. And you're like, dude, you're walking in there and it's an hour and like, it's an hour, hour walk or so, maybe just over an hour, especially when you don't take shortcuts. Short, Never take a, listeners, never take a shortcut in the dark. No. It don't work out. No. You look at them and, no. oh it's man. Not, it's yeah, the, we'll just
2: dip off this trail real quick. Hell no, <laughs> Oh, the top lines don't want that bad. Oh, <laughs> let me tell
0: yeah. you, let me tell you, yeah. dude. We... Day one went out there, and what should have been about an hour, about an hour walk, turned to about hour forty five because we tried to we try to get off one trail. Cut to, this corner. Yeah. We try to get off one trail to jump up to another trail, and but dude, let me tell you, I, I I've never looked at autumn olives all autumn olives again the same. It is, it was so, it was it was it was steep. It was rough. Oh, dude, it was rough. Listen, I, I was like, this is the dumbest decision I've ever made. Come to find out, if we would have stayed on the trail we were on. We, we would have shaved off forty five minutes. Yeah, that's for the best that part. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the best part. Later <laughs> on, you just talk to Josh and you like he's like, he's like, why the hell? What? what? Yeah, you Go this way, yeah, you know, just, take this yeah. take this route, and we would go through the next day. And we're like, oh yeah, we saved literally like you know thirty to forty minutes. Right. So, um, but yeah, that's 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 that is crazy though. Talking about the East Coast and like how early like legal light happens, especially later on in the season, and like Maine, I mean, goes to, like what the first week of June. Yeah. So it's yeah. Like you're talking about legit. Like, such an early sunrise and gray light. Like, and late sunsets. Yes, dude.
2: That's the longest part of the... <laughs> longest days of the year. And if you're
0: struggling in Maine,
3: you can you hunt can all hunt day, all too. Day. So, I mean... That's that's a lot of hours in a day.
0: Yeah, it's like okay, you get about two and a half hours of sleep at night. Usually huh? you don't struggle in Maine though. No, <laughs> uh, Maine's pretty. good. I know y'all about taught me to make that seventeen hundred mile drive north from Alabama. It's a long drive. I've looked. Yeah, it's It's a, lot. It's a haul. It's a lot. <laughs> you don't realize like you look at the you look at the map. You know, it like oh, that's not that far. And you start playing the GPS. Like, oh yeah, dude. Yeah, me. it's a hike. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, but uh, no, that, that that is super cool though. But I mean, when it comes to like the traveling, the turkey hunting. What what kind of gets you guys excited about turkey hunting, It like kind of helps fuel the passion for y'all to grind it out, not only produce the content, but truly just go have fun turkey hunting.
2: This type of stuff, meeting people, list hearing about different cultures, um, you know, a lot of, I mean, we met Josh turkey hunting. That's how that relationship started when we were hunting Virginia and shared camp with he with uh T H P and him and you know we form those relationships and i think um you know even virginia like cody and jake ran into a guy there and like cody and jake are or jake uh, sorry cody and that guy are texting every day now about turkey hunting is a guy he ran into in public i
3: mean these relationships can be something that you end up trading hunts back and forth and becoming friends for a while i mean you never know who you're gonna run into and it's it's fun especially on public land and i mean i i like just i mean I always can't wait for spring for turkey hunting. I mean, you always are out there listening to everything, wake up in the morning and everything
2: getting started, the first bird. Especially coming from the northeast. Oh, are yeah. are like, Typically. coming out of winter and, like, early spring, it's yeah. like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> so and, like then you have to go back to it. That's yeah. the worst part. Like, I, I, I remember <laughs> telling my wife the first year we went down to Alabama because I had never – that was, like, the first, like, southern early – trip and that was when it opened March 15th probably yeah Yeah, last year they did the 15th we went down there sunshine green I'm like happy 75 80 as a clam and then I drive back to New York and it's like snow on the ground (laughs) snow and I'm just I told her I was like I never knew what seasonal depression was until we started hunting down south because <laughs> it's and like I get really bad allergies like first thing in the spring uh-huh. So like I'm going down south, I'm popping allergy medicine <laughs> come back. To New York, it's still winter. Go down to Virginia, everything's popping. Like, oh, allergies. Go back to New York because we always follow
3: the pop yeah. all the way up. Oh, and his allergies are always the
2: worst. Yeah. Then, so it's it's funny
3: to watch. Like, he yeah. just but, he chases uh, his allergies yeah. all the way up the country. Dude,
0: that's hilarious. You talk about like seasons, dude. It was in the second week of April in Alabama. It got to eighty three degrees.
2: Yeah. Well, opening day where we hunted, mm-hmm. it was ninety two. Oh yeah, it was brutal and muggy. Bugs. Yeah. I was like, no. I'm good. Oh yeah, right? those little biting flies and yeah. everything—they were messing yeah, ticks, us up. Ticks,
0: mosquitoes, the flies, everything. He it's started like,
3: sweating when he stepped out of the truck. Dude, yeah. they,
0: so this is the worst thing about being in the South, and this is a little rant, kind of you know gets to the point of almost wrapping up the podcast. Is it sucks when you take a shower in the morning and you go outside and within 15 minutes you're sweating. Yeah, you can't yeah. even dry off, and you're like, this <laughs> is terrible, dude. Yeah, like yeah, that that's the South.
2: That's. That's, and we're like the, like our, our Northeast openers usually like say Massachusetts opener, which is next Monday or this Monday, I'm sorry. Um, normal years, it'll be like 28 degrees. Yeah, typically it's a hard frost. Awesome like you're around. wearing your deer hunt and stuff. You're cold. And like by the end of, you know, season, you're still, your mornings are on a normal year are still forties, you know, and it's getting up to seventies. It's, it's beautiful weather for, for that type of stuff. Like, we were usually bundled up pretty good the first week of the season. I don't know what it'll be like this year because we've had an unseasonably warm spring. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's – back home, it's as warm as it is here right now, which is crazy. Um,
0: All the people on Facebook be like, oh, they're gobbled out. Yeah. yeah. They're done. Out of gobbles. Yeah, yeah. all
2: well, these <laughs> Kentucky birds run out of them around 8 a.m. Yeah, about yeah.
0: Yeah. 8, 8.30, Why yeah. Unless you
2: scare the crap out of them and make them gobble <laughs> out of pure fear.
0: Dude, uh, awesome. Well, guys, listen, I appreciate y'all joining for the podcast. It's been fun. Uh, again, y'all got me interested in checking out the Northeast. And, again, even like, seeing all deer content, it's kind of fascinating just, again, like y'all doing what you're doing is the similarity to kind of like what we've done as well for like, again, like the Southeast, which just has been kind of left alone. Other than like your big brands like Primo's and monsters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But even some of that stuff is not overly relatable with the average guy, so right. it's kind of cool to see somebody like you guys doing this in a, in a part of the country that's really been left out for the last 30, 40 years when it comes to the hunting uh, industry and this you know film and everything else. So it's it's awesome to see it, um, and maybe I have to have y'all back on it sometime to do a little bonus tips on on waterfowl. Yeah, that's something that's been kind of I've been. Getting more and more interested, in. I'm, I'm not a waterfowl hunter at all, but it's, uh, it's fascinating kind of seeing the, the dynamic of our waterfowlers and also the uh, at least some of them, the amount of suck they are willing to go through in order to go shoot some, yeah. shoot some <laughs> ducks or, or geese. So, There's a lot
2: of suck that's involved.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, where can people follow along with you guys on, like, Instagram, Facebook, if you're on Facebook, yep. uh, YouTube, the whole nine yards?
2: So everything is just at Just Hunt Club youtube facebook uh instagram we had a tiktok but we'll leave that out yeah you don't have to follow us there <laughs> awesome. they don't um,
3: like hunting there yeah.
0: awesome cool well jody or uh, i'll put both names together <laughs> john and cody appreciate y'all joining me on the podcast listeners uh, appreciate y'all listening to this episode if y'all enjoyed it share it with some friends and also if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes we're putting out right now you can lose a five-star written review on apple Podcasts. Greatly appreciate that And we'll catch y'all back here on the next episode from the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast.
1: Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you are like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are gonna be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're gonna have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're gonna have merch there to purchase. We're gonna be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff so like I said don't miss it you can head on over to the mobile com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets so y'all go check it out at the dot com.